what is Gord all about and what's going on? Absolutely. So Gord is a indexer for ordinals and inscriptions, which for all of us who are up on the stage, we all get, but let's imagine we don't know what that is. So if you were in or if you were interested in this ecosystem in let's say February, March, April, you would remember that back at that point in time, the majority of your information either came from ordinals.com or your own ord client. Your ord client is an indexer, looks through the blockchain, finds all the inscriptions, makes sure they follow the rules, and then uh, exposes them in either a database or through the ordinals.com front end. Uh, why Gord is needed to be built, in our opinion, comes down to something we saw in March, April, where ordinals.com was unusable. I don't know if any of you remember that point in time where we were, we'll say, struggling to connect to it half the time. You'd go to open it and it would just time out like five seconds later. A lot of this was because there was a single point of failure. And when you have thousands and thousands of people who want to look at their newest monkey frog HTML thing, it doesn't work very well. It's just a matter of scale. So where Gord comes in is... So we had explorers that solved the ordinals.com side. Ordinal Hub being a great example, Hero being a great example, Gamma, Ordio. Lots of explorers came along and distributed that load and also improved upon the engineering to display those in either a faster way, very quick response times, or potentially in a more robust way or in a more user-friendly way, choosing which part of the problem to solve and tackle to improve the entire space. Where Gord comes in is it does this for the ORD indexing side of things. Well, I won't say better. What I will say is when you have indexers that are deciding what is the truth, if you have only one option and it's written by one set of people, the chance of a flaw is much, much higher. Imagine if you had the opportunity to, instead of having one builder build you a house, you could have two builders build you a house and pick the better one at any point in time. You weren't even committed to which house. You'd say, this week they they put the sink in wrong. I'm going to go to the other one for a little bit. That's the purpose of these indexers. It's to create more options in the ecosystem. So that way you're never locked in. You as a user can use whatever fits your specific needs at any specific point in time. Cool. So side, like as a builder, like what are the unique features of Gord that I should be interested in or take a look at? Sure. So let's imagine you wanted to build something that uses modified envelopes. We're currently in the process of exposing key value stores. So the ORD envelope structure, I'm trying to remember to keep this simple, but it's also complex the more you dig into it. The structure of an inscription has the capability of storing what you might call key value pairs, where you have one piece of data that references, or not references, but indexes another piece of data. Exposing that will enable creators to potentially make more complex envelopes as well as have content separate from metadata. This would lead to massive improvements like we were discussing back in March with BRC20. Instead of storing that in text in terms of JSON, it could have been stored as envelope key values and would have resulted in a massive performance increase as well as the opportunity to include content alongside that data. So that's one major way that Gord, I, I think, is different than the main indexers that we're very carefully looking at this data. We're not making opinionated statements about should you use it, but 
if the opportunity is there, I think people will find creative ways to do so. Got it. So basically, does this go back to BRC20? Is that a good example of maybe how this could be an optimization? How much does having a different envelope actually improve performance? And could you explain how it does improve performance? Because I guess we would say that the indexer needs to like first look at a piece of JSON if there's no additional envelope and then it has to make sense of it afterwards. Or could you explain like, like how it's being done now and how this changes things? Yeah, it's just not mutating data types. So uh, let's say, man, I, I, didn't, I was trying to avoid using BRC20 heavily as an example of why you'd want to do this sort of thing. But it's a great example because it's a JSON structure that has a fixed data structure. Uh, I don't know if any of you have noticed when opening any of these explorers that you'll often see the exact same JSON basically thousands and thousands of times with no format change and basically four letters or some numbers different. That makes more sense as binary data. It takes up less space on Bitcoin as binary data. And it also means that you can put something pretty alongside your binary data to make everything make a little bit more sense and not be horrifically boring when you see it in an Explorer's recent feed. But I, to be very clear, it's not just the envelopes that make this a massive gain. It's like I said before, I think the main gain to the ecosystem is having more indexers in play. I'm of the opinion that just Explorers, we need more than one. We might even need more than two. As long as they all are maintaining compatibility, I am sure many people saw recently there was an issue where Ord actually had missed an index that was identified because there were other explorers that were indexing just differently enough to not be impacted by that bug, which allowed it to be diagnosed and resolved in what I believe was probably a faster amount of time may even have in inadvertently long-term resulted in less cursed inscriptions, but that's an opinion. Got it. And by changing the envelope, does that mean that we're close to 15 million inscriptions now? Does that mean that if you change the envelope that these numbers won't be bumped, as I do prefer my numbers bumped? Would this, would this negatively impact that? No, the, changing the envelope just allows you to put a different type of data inside of an inscription itself instead of in the content of the inscription. It doesn't change the, the functional application, the indexing ordering, has no impact on any of that for the most part. Got it. And does it allow people to more easily spin up, I would say, specialized indexers? Is that one of the goals here? Or what are some of the broader, like maybe business implications or business goals of this, of this implementation? The general idea is we needed data in a format that worked for us. So a great example of this is I believe we are now at, I don't think we have any dependencies left on Ord. All of Ordinal Hub is running off of Gord data. And we're still growing and improving in that regard, but it's also built into our API as a service. Everything we're doing, we're trying to move to our own in-house indexer. The idea being... It reduces the dependency on external factors, which is good from a business standpoint. And then being able to do these custom indexes and or either custom indexes, imagine you wanted to use a completely different protocol envelope or key value store based indexes, which allow you to do extensions to the ORD envelope. Those, I think, will have business implications for other providers 
but I'm neither an artist nor that creative. So I would love to hear if people have ideas, reach out to us. We'll, we're always happy to help people build cool stuff. I think it's uh, useful to point out Casey Rodemore started working on the Ord client like almost a year ago today. And with a few developers, Raf, who's the current maintainer of the Ordinals client repo. And we built this in two months while also doing a bunch of other stuff. And it's no small feat to build this kind of client and indexer. So we're focused mainly on building primitives and things which we think structurally supports the ecosystem. We've gotten the blessing from various people affiliated with the Ordinals project because we believe client diversity is a strength. And if we can, if we look at like how Bitcoin consensus emerges, we have various Bitcoin node clients, Bitcoin Core being the dominant one. And those operate within Bitcoin consensus, but not all the clients are the same. I think we could see a similar thing happen in Ordinals where we have various Ord clients and those fall within Ordinals consensus. And so I think this is an important thing to emphasize. I actually posted a tweet from the Ordinal Hub account, which kind of dives into some high-level explanation of this. But we're focused on client diversity. And then that allows us to also explore different ways to use ordinal theory. So if we want to consider different features or different mechanics than the uh, ordinal's core client uh, supports, we can add those in our own way. And this allows a lot more expression and diversity across the ecosystem. Yeah, said, and, and Gord is also built on Go, right? And the original Ordinals Cloud is built on Rust. So this also, does this make it easier for developers who maybe they have an infrastructure built on Go to be able to tap into that? And is could maybe either of you talk about maybe some of the advantages of Rust versus Go and some of the different use cases that those frameworks are used for? Yeah, that's a Nick question. He's a big Go guy. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. The reason I started writing it in Go is because I don't know how to write Rust, and Rust is really hard to write. And Go is relatively easy. been doing it for five, six years. It really started with Go. Some of the benefits of Go, Rust has all of those benefits as well. Honestly, I think the reason we picked Go is just because it's easier to write. It has all the functions that you really need in, for, from Rust, but it, without the extra complexity of writing in Rust. And also, it's just more addressable. The market... At once, once we get to the point where we can start sh- opening up some of the code to show people how it works, I think it'll be a lot easier for people to make contributions to Gord because of it being a much more approachable language. So that was probably the main reason. That, and then, of course, all of us are Go engineers at Luxor, so if we wanted to make any meaningful changes, it would be much easier for us to do it in Go. Also, if there are any backend engineers that know Go and are interested in Ord and Ordinals at Work Ord or Ordinal Hub or all of these awesome products that are being built right now, give me a shout because we're always hiring for uh, talented backend engineers. Shameless plug. Then one of the things that I guess one of the reasons that we started to implement this specifically, the very first one, and it was a very simple idea, was like, I'd really like to get this data into a relational database. What that means is you can do select from inscriptions where inscription ID matches this or something like that. That's a lot easier to do. Or it produces something called a ReadyB, which is a on-disk key value store. And it's quite difficult to explore that. It also, when you have a flat file database like that, makes it a lot harder to replicate So like if you wanted to, say, serve this API from Asia and from the U.S., you would have to have two instances of ORD running for because you need a copy of the ReadyB in each region. 
With this, we can do streaming replicas to Postgres databases, which is a very common way to horizontally scale uh, your application. And that was another reason. And then the last reason was that there were all these inscriptions that we knew didn't exist in the existing org client and wanted to figure out how can we at least get that data. Maybe we won't change our numbering or anything, but want to have those inscriptions in the data set, either give them no inscription number or, or something. Um, so conceptually, the idea that I had or that we coalesced upon or decided upon was like, let's just get every inscription, every inscription, put a row in the database for every inscription, and then you can start to build views on top of that based on the criteria that you have. Is it a standard in ORD inscription, meaning it follows the rules that ORD has coded into it? If it is, then it has a number. Otherwise, it, it doesn't. But it, all of the data is there, and so we can start to expose all of these that were referred to as cursed inscriptions, other types of there are inscriptions that like parent-child was around for a little while. Those inscriptions are somewhat lost right now, meaning what I mean by lost is that they're still in the, in the blockchain. There's just not available through ORD because ORD doesn't index them correctly. Uh, or I shouldn't say correctly. It just doesn't index them because it, it doesn't meet the standardness rules of ORD. So we want to get all of those inscriptions uh, and make them available for people to view and, and make their own distinction about what the value of those inscriptions are and whether they should have a number or not. Leave that up to the community. It looks like Sai has his hand up. I know he has a lot of uh, opinions on this, which is great. So I'll kick it over to him. Yeah, I was going to touch back on the Rust versus Go thing. I won't get into the cultural war that happens whenever you're talking about choosing one language over the other inside of an organization. Instead, I would say good engineers always do good engineering, whether they mean to or not. And specifically... Nick's choice to use Go may not have been built in this idea, but when I came on, these were the reasons I was like, oh, I'm totally on board with that. Let's continue to use Go for this because it has benefits. And that if you build in Rust, you're going to use the same Rust crates, libraries, for those of you who haven't dealt with Rust yet. And also, sweet summer child, stay the way you are. Don't touch Rust. Uh, but by not having those same dependencies that you're sharing between both libraries, you remove the chance that there's a flaw or bug or defect in the libraries themselves. So like on the Go side, we have BCD. We also, I believe it might be called, it's either Bitcoin Lib or something. I don't remember on the Rust side. I haven't used it in a couple of weeks. But by not sharing those dependencies, if a dependency is broken, it should only break on one side, allowing us to quickly identify it, whether it's us or if it's Ord resolve the problem, and continue moving forward, building cool stuff in the ecosystem. So again, good engineers will always do good engineering, whether they mean to or not. I'll also jump in, because I don't know if we were like blunt enough, but we call it GORD, G-O-R-D, because it's ORD in Go. So GORD. Super clever. And yeah, just and then zooming out just a little bit. In general, a lot of times Rust is used for embedded applications, things like the firmware that we built for mining machines called LuxOS is built in Rust. It's very performant. And that's, I'm sure, the reason Casey picked it. Casey's a gigabrain. And so he had probably no problem figuring out how to write the, all of this Rust 
And so that was the reason they picked Rust. It's very performant. It works really well on embedded devices. I imagine there's a huge shift in, in embedded engineering now away from C and C+. And even Golang was a good language for embedded systems towards Rust because of the performance that you're able to get from it. And then also the guarantees that Rust is able to give you. Go is a little bit more of the, a, a middle ground between that web services type of, of language that's made for large, large organizations. You can think Java or C Sharp. Go takes away a lot of the bad parts of Java and C Sharp leaves the good parts because there certainly are good parts in Java and C Sharp, but then also makes it significantly more performant. So those are some of the reasons that we picked or that we picked Go a long time ago for Luxor. And then, of course, just adding on all of the context that Sai and Charlie gave around using Go for it over instead of Rust for, for Gord specifically. And do you guys have some like future plans or anywhere that you maybe plan to invest more energy into or like an area to build out that maybe is not on the current Ordinal's core roadmap. Any thoughts on that, like where this could become more differentiated? Yeah, none of this is vetted by Luxor, what I'm about to say. So understand that this is my personal ideals of what I hope we get to build. Uh, I just need somebody who has the money to convince the business side of Luxor that this is something they should definitely tell me to build. I would love to make Gord fully implement other protocol envelopes. So if you have something that like is very similar to inscriptions, but maybe doesn't work in exactly perfectly the same way, whether that's you wanted to build BRC20 and not have the dependency on ordinal numbering, or you wanted to build off-chain pointers, but you don't want it to look like you're misleading users about what you're selling to them. I may not be a huge fan of off-chain pointers, but I am enough of a fan of alternative envelopes that I would love to build that out and see it come to fruition. As well as I like the idea of abstracting a lot of the indexer from end users in a trustless way. This is something that's big on my mind currently is we have APIs on Luxor side. Uh, we sell some of these as services even, but how do we prove with a cryptographic proof that the data we're serving is 100% accurate. And this is something that's very important to me and I think is probably going to be a future, at least personal project, if not something that maybe even Luxor itself should pursue to stay aligned with the ecosystem as much as possible. That's fascinating. So you're saying that there might be a way for individual indexers to prove that they're honest? So starting, you keep it simple. This is something that was discussed again when Orden had that off by one, where it's, we have now two, I think actually there may even be a third indexer. They're not as public. Why can we not take these indexers and just compare them on a frequent basis, daily, block up, block height, and say, okay, this isn't a cryptographic proof of who's right or who's wrong. But at the very least, we agree that at this height, there should be X number of inscriptions and your X minus one. So either you are right and the other participants are wrong or the other participants are right and you're wrong. Just having that indicator would be huge. But if you could then expand upon it and have a way to cryptographically prove your state as right or wrong, you'd very quickly arrive at a point where the indexers could cross check themselves which would result in the ability to resolve any issues that arise fast enough that we don't have to recreate the cursed inscription scheme again. 
let's be honest, curse inscriptions happen because we let a problem get out of control. We discussed it back when it was a minor problem. I I know many of you remember that we sat in group calls and Twitter spaces and we had the discussion, but we didn't have the means to quickly diagnose, debug and say, hey, this is the problem. These are the future problems. And here's where it's wrong right now and then resolve it. I think we can get there with more indexers, more client diversity. And I'm very excited about that. I hope that's the direction we continue to build at Luxor, Ordinal Hub. Yeah, and Ordinal Hub acts as a kind of like a SEAL Team 6 crack R&D squad part of Luxor. Luxor is a Bitcoin mining tech stack company. I, before I joined Luxor, as a miner interested in the market research side of things, watched Luxor go from a small team to now a team of, I think, over 50 and really define a lot of the entire tracking, research, product stack in Bitcoin mining. And it's interesting now because I get to be a part of Luxor as we build in ordinals. And I think as I try to imagine what the path forward for ordinals goes, I've said this on various other spaces where there is this NFT analog, but I think there's actually a bigger story of things going into Bitcoin blocks. And I think we're poised at this kind of period, this renaissance period for development on Bitcoin, Gord acts as um, a way for us to uh, build Ord and our own Ord client. But then also we can add a lot of other stuff to it. And we're searching in an exploratory R&D mode for if you have a cool idea and you want to monetize it, come talk to us if you need an indexer or a specific client to be custom built to launch a thing. And so this is our thesis is we're going to build primitives. We're going to build things which we can maintain we are a very small nuclear team within Luxor, and we're also figuring out how to plug what we do into other kind of Luxor verticals. This is where we really soar is like we understand the entire Bitcoin mining tech stack, and we can do all of that. So Gord accomplishes. We hit many birds with one stone here. That's super cool. I think there's an opportunity for some ninja alerts in that API there. We should talk. And I want to ask either Charlie, Cypher, Nick, if you guys know about this. I found out this past week, there's a developer named Gmart7, letter T2, who has a fork of Ord that's quite far ahead of the original Ord. So he's been committing a lot of different features. I saw he added a rare sats integration. There's about 200 commits that he's forked differently from the Ordinal's core. And he's also been including the, the updates to, to Ord in there. Are you guys familiar with that that client? Do you know anything about it? Would love to know uh, more about it. Yeah, Greg is fantastic. Absolutely love him. Many of you may remember me and Post setting in Discord for the first two or three months we were involved, 16 plus hours a day. When we started to finally burn out on our ability to set in the voice call for that many hours a day, helping people spin up nodes, Greg stepped up and took that exact same role. So I have an immense amount of respect for him. He does have probably one of the best forks of ord uh, i don't say that lightly considering i still maintain my own personal fork for personal use but it's a little bit different because he's still aligned with the language level so my comment about not sharing dependency tree doesn't apply he's still using the same indexing code as a one-to-one -one. so if ord is off his client will also be off because it wasn't a rewritten imp implementation I do think it's really neat, though, and he does satisfy the criteria of client diversity because his fork is really good for what it's designed to do. 
which is the end user experience is probably a little bit better than Ord's currently. I would personally look at cherry picking some of the changes back up into the main Ord repo if I was Raph. But at the end of the day, it is primarily focused on the user experience side of Ord and not on changes or improvements to indexing and data availability because it's still using REDB behind the scenes as of the last time I looked at his fork. So it's fantastic. One, love his fork. Two, Greg is awesome. If you have never had the opportunity of having Greg help you with something, excellent human being. Highly recommend him. What is Greg's uh, Twitter handle? For those who are wondering, again, the, the GitHub is github.com slash gmart, and then the, the number seven, the letter T, and the number two. What is Greg's, Greg's Twitter handle, by the way, Sai? Does he have a Twitter handle? If he does, he's been very good about not cross-linking them, so I wouldn't disclose that. I will say he's active in the order cord, so that would probably be the best place to find him or make an issue on his fork of Ord just to have the conversation. That's always a, a meaningful way to get a uh, developer's attention and their ire, but mostly their attention. Oh, yeah. Very cool. We love uh, Greg. And, and does Gord or Greg's fork of Ord support BRC20? Are you guys planning to support BRC20? Are you planning to support any of the more advanced stuff coming out like ORC20, et cetera? Or even we've seen some proposals for staking. We've seen some proposals for some more advanced stuff that kind of pushes maybe the limit of what indexers can do to uncharted territory. Are you guys thinking of any of that stuff? There's no technical reason we couldn't support BRC20. There's liability reasons that doing so may not make the most sense currently. And to be very direct and honest, I am heavily of the opinion that BRC20 has both financial and legal risks associated with it as it stands currently, as well as technological flaws that would make indexing it, make you an active participant in misleading users by indexing it. Specifically, we've already gone through multiple iterations of BRC20 having double spend attacks, off indexes, miscommunications in regards to the protocol standards for what is and is not a ticker and which tickers correspond with each other regarding uh, alphanumeric characters. I would personally say that we shouldn't do it, but if Nick or Charlie or anyone who makes more wise decisions at Luxor said tomorrow, index it, we could have it indexed within the day easily with Gord. Again, that is the power of a relational database. We would make one quick view and we would have the data ready. Yeah, that's correct. I think it, it's just a little bit below the line for us because of you know a lot of all of the reasons that Cy mentioned. There are BRC20 indexers out there. We'll let them decide you know what it is. And we you know I think the opinion here is that they're not it's not incredibly compelling protocol and there's a lot of reasons why I think either something else or nothing at all is the better solution for that type of, I don't know, what would you call it activity? I don't know, ecosystem? I'm not sure. But we're, we have a lot of other stuff that we're going to spend time on. And the data is available through the API. And if you run Gord, you can get all the data and do the indexing yourself. Obviously, that's we're 
punting the work off to the consumer of the API. But sometimes that's just what you end up having to do. Um, because in my opinion, it just doesn't have a long longevity and like long term, it won't be a long term part of the, the ordinal story, at least not in its current state. So I think that's one of the reasons that we're avoiding spending cycles there, because in my opinion, it'll end up being, it'll ultimately end up being work that won't be utilized by the community or by the network very much. Yeah, a lot of the decisions we make, if you are recently entered into the world of ordinals, you may think that all that's ever existed is this new world of recursion and ETH derivatives popping off on Bitcoin. But the thing is that this the space iterates really quickly and there is always some kind of hype or mania which is dominating. And it's really hard to build products which stay relevant in the market, but then also don't get sidetracked by the hot thing of the day. And so we're fine waiting to see how certain of these uh, very popular things shake out so that we can actually build and integrate them the proper way. And we're happy to consult and talk about these kind of things. With regards to BRC20, we have had some interesting conversations. I'll let other BRC20 figureheads talk about that if they wish. But we're interested in building things that we see a very clear, like long-term integration and sustained use case. Leo, I want to ask you as a builder in this space for Ord.io, what is your tech stack? Are you doing all the RareSat stuff on your own database? And what are some of the things that you've had to build on your own as a builder? Yeah, it's a great question. I definitely have massive regard for just like basically rebuilding this entire system that was just a bunch of words, right? And then this reference implementation indexer. And actually, I'm sure you thought through just basically all of these same things that Casey did that probably a very few number of people in the world have thought through by literally rebuilding this in a different language, right? You guys probably understand the indexing of ordinals better than just about anyone other than like Casey and people who've gone through that process of which there are less than 10 in the world, right? So, yeah, I think, look, it's extremely important that we have this client diversity stuff. Specifically, our tech stack is we're leveraging Heroes API right now. So they basically also have an indexer. And we essentially use that for the layer that touches the blockchain. So basically, you've got this like Bitcoin blockchain, right? And then you've got this layer of, that's like a window of viewing all of these sats and activity through the ordinal theory lens. All of that we do not do. We use other people for that currently, Hero and actually a few other APIs as well. And it looks like that is what Ordinal Hub is basically building that layer. And then I think they're moving up the stack a little bit more. So like what we currently do is just take all of that basically just raw sat ordinal inscription data. And then we pull it into our own database. And we basically have this processing step where we do... Just basically a bunch of different things, such as the rare sat indexing that you were talking about, Trevor. All like sorts of like fun little things that just have extra data that like you would not have inside of the indexer, right? So like we put it through this like AI moderation filter to tag things as not safe for work so that we're not manually having to like go look at all of these <laughs> not very uh, pleasant images to tag them ourselves. And there's basically like a dozen little things like that we do. And then we bring that into our database and then the database is what powers our API and our client. And the it's funny enough, like the thing we've struggled with the most is just having like reliable data at that layer that we don't own ourselves. And I think it's very important that we have builders focusing on that. Like for myself, it was more fun to focus on like the sexier client side of things, consumer application. 
it's maybe not as necessarily glorious or fun to build the indexing from scratch. The end consumer doesn't necessarily give you credit or respect that at the end of the day. But for any builder in this space, they will know that this is a huge pain point in the entire ecosystem. Like indexing issues is it's plagued us for five months and it'll keep plaguing us. If we don't build this kind of cross-checker tool situation that Cyforce talking about to basically have a situation where we've got several implementations of this idea and they're all like, check, there, there's some checker that stay, makes sure they're in sync. And as soon as one thing goes out of sync, it puts out a you know signal saying, hey, like this aspect of the indexing is off on this indexer implementation and engineers can get an alert in the middle of the night and we can have that solved very quickly. That is not, that's just not where we're at right now. And we end up having multiple days of wrong data with SATs, with inscription numbers, with stuff like this. And this is just important that we build this. And I think nobody's taking this problem as seriously as you guys. And I respect that a lot. I'm hoping that, like myself, who is a builder in this space, who is wanting to build an MVP, but doesn't want to have to re-implement this very complex system in a new programming language. I'm hoping other builders can come along and build their like consumer products and MVPs much more easily leveraging like the infrastructure y'all have created. The Infura example is a great example. Infura is a extremely important piece of the infrastructure on Ethereum to developers, right? Just developers want to focus on one specific thing, not solve the entire problem themselves and have all these different companies building their own things internally and all this stuff, right? You want to just leverage somebody who does a really good job at that. So there will be companies who want to own everything end to end. And I think y'all are even open source with Gord. So you technically could run it yourself. But yeah, I think there are hundreds of builders in this space who want to be able to hit an API and get some of this data. And I think you guys are building a really interesting product for that. I think just basically the way y'all are building and approaching things I can tell like down the road, you guys are going to have an extremely robust data set that I think will be very powerful that I don't think anyone else will probably have. Yeah, we're not open source right now. There's a lot of work that goes into open sourcing something. So shout out the developers and maintainers of the current Ordinals GitHub repo. That's a lot of work to build an open source project. We will talk about that down the road. So we've talked about why like having client diversity is important, right? And it's important for the entire ecosystem, like every single person in the space, whether you're a collector, whether you even know this stuff is happening or not, you will benefit from this. But could you guys just quickly make the 30 second pitch to a developer, how they could use what you guys are doing here or work with you guys on this product you've created? Sure. Let's imagine though you just wanted to work on indexers. Ord project is currently open source. It has a large number of open issues. A lot of them are what I would class as low-hanging fruit. And even a portion of those already have solutions in Greg's fork that could be cherry-picked into the main repo with a little bit of work. So if your goal is just to be involved and build cool stuff in the ecosystem, there is work to do. There is endless amounts of engineering and dev work to be done right now. But more importantly, what is the benefit of working with the product we're building is probably long-term, I would imagine it's going to look a lot like what Leo was saying in that the relational databases being exposed through APIs or potentially even uh, managed instances 
are immensely useful, but they are still going to require that you have a developer or an engineer who knows how to work with them, knows how to get the most out of them, and knows how to feed it to either themselves, if they're a full stack, or a front-end engineer to build a really cool experience that, you know, works and is performant and makes clients and users happy. And then on top of that, I'm going to be honest, having access to a, a database of the inscriptions that's not buried in REDB, which doesn't have a lot of the, or a lot of database management tools do not have the ability to open that yet. So having it instead in a relational database that I can open in said tools as a developer, I'm going to speak to how I'm really excited. It allows me to do really complex and interesting queries. I'm sure some of you saw the recursive robots thing that got dropped recently. That came out of left field. We had no involvement with them until after they finished and said, we don't know how to index this. But given their rule set, we were able to build a, a complete index of, hey, here's the first 10,000 of them that were ever inscribed that follow these rules and apply rules to the entire inscription set to filter a, a small piece of that and build a sub-index from it. I think this is going to enable a lot of really cool use cases where do you want to index this one oddball subset of, collect of inscriptions? Do you have an idea that you can build on top of that? And we're already seeing this. Ord's Games, I believe, did the Wizorbs. We've had, obviously, we've had a, a million and one different text-based uh, meta protocols, whether they be .sats or BRC20. All of these could easily have a very quick and very powerful indexer built on top of our data set with just a simple database view. That's very cool, guys. And Charlie and Nick, while we have you here, I do want to talk about Bitcoin mining a little bit and the interest in ordinals. As we know, the last week, there was a lot of blood in the ETH NFT market. We've been a bit insulated from that with OMB being very successful in their drop last week. Since Bitcoin Miami, we had a lot of excitement from a lot of mining companies first being introduced to ordinals. I'm curious, have there been any recent developments? Have the conversations shifted? What is the state of Bitcoin mining and their interest in ordinals? Honestly, that was the reason I got super interested in ordinals in the very beginning and inscriptions was mostly due to seeing over the most of 2022 that there was very little transaction fee volume. In general, we were sitting at less than 1% of block reward coming from uh, transaction fee, the majority of it coming from Coinbase reward which to me was very concerning. That's a very big problem for Bitcoin. Maybe not right now, but in the future, if that continues to remain the case, we could see an issue with the, the security budget for Bitcoin starting to erode. As more and more halvings come, we need to see transaction fee volume start to take up the place of that subsidy that's being issued via inflation from the blockchain. That is something that I saw immediately when inscription, when I saw this, I was like, this is an immediate and consistent demand for Bitcoin block space, which is incredible. That's a game changer for Bitcoin miners and the Bitcoin mining ecosystem and for Bitcoin as a whole. If there's somebody that's consistently looking to use that block space, that's that gives us more of a floor for transaction fees. And that's what we've seen happen over the last four or five months since ordinals came to be and inscriptions started to pick up popularity was that the mempool rarely clears now. Uh, I don't know what it's at this morning. When I looked yesterday, it was around 10 sats, usually Sunday afternoons, probably the lowest fee environment that you'll see during the week. And we were still sitting at three to five times what it would have been uh, in the depths of 2022. So uh, we're continuing to see this type of stuff happen. Uh, also, 
Uh, another thing that's really interesting about Bitcoin miners is they're the ones that actually produce the unique Satoshis. Every rare sat, every epic sat, every uncommons, etc., all come from, from miners. Miners are the ones that actually produce them. And so that's a place where miners have an outsized opportunity to the market is in their ability to harness that, which is something we're con- continuing to work on is helping miners either unlock the unique sats they already have or keep track of the ones that they get a hold of via their mining activity. And miners are starting to lean into this. Hive Blockchain, one of our close partners at Luxor, actually has a press release out uh, that's filed with the SEC. And that it references ordinals uh, and inscriptions very heavily. They talk about selling unique and uncommon sats. And that's actually in the public record as part of an SEC filing that they did. Miners are leaning into this. DMG has been out, DMG Blockchain, they run TerraPool. They've been out talking about doing inscriptions as a service and big blocks and things like that. And they'll also be referencing that in their early earnings, most likely, if I had to guess, uh, for Q2. So a lot of public miners will be referencing ordinals inscriptions in their Q2 earnings reports and are issuing press releases referencing ordinals and inscriptions. So I would definitely say that this is top of mind for miners and it's really crafting the narrative uh, in mining right now. Uh, it's really the only thing that miners uh, you know, that have to talk about. I guess there's a lot of, I, I, I shouldn't say that. It's not the only thing they have. They have a whole ESG narrative to battle. They've got the Texas heat. There's a lot of really interesting narratives in Bitcoin, but ordinals and inscriptions are certainly one of the more interesting and one of the ways that miners are going to be able to maximize revenue. And and that's why we leaned in. Now that Nick is gone, talking about the mining space specifically and Luxor being a software provider for mining companies, are you guys looking at this space in terms of what other tools that you can provide to other mining companies and Being, I think, a rather, there's not that many mining companies. It's more like an enterprise market. What is the appetite for that? Or are the mining companies more developing in-house tools? There's a lot of things going on. We have a research product, Hashrate Index, and we're focusing on figuring out how to make sense of this new, brave new world of ordinals and high-fee environment. So we have a new product, Hashrate Index Premium. We're doing a lot of interesting primary research specifically on this subject. And uh, if you want to know some deep dive stuff on, say, BRC20s, more important stuff, then uh, you can check that out. Simple tools like um, how do miners get their rare or exotic Satoshis out of their custody wallets? Like, it's not quite as simple as just point-click takeout stats. A lot of the large custodians have uh, very complex regulatory custody models and they're not all the same and they're all different it's because custody itself just at an institutional level is wide and varied and highly regulated so we're building interesting products to solve that we there's a lot of other things i don't know exactly what we can talk about but basically if it seems like a bitcoin mining company should build it we're probably thinking about it got it and how easy is it for startups or builders in the audience let's say to target miners as a user or customer for these type of solutions? Because I assume a lot of the consumer-grade products that we have being released will need, can provide the plumbing, but they need different interfaces. They need to work differently for the use case of, let's say, a large mining company. But that can also lead to potentially significant revenue for those miners. Do you have any advice for the builders out there who maybe they're building consumer-focused products in the ordinal space right now in terms of how to look at the market for miners as a customer end user? Absolutely. 
So the simple version of that is it's going to be hard. The mining ecosystem, they are a different breed. They plug in thousands upon thousands of ASICs, and they're very good at that. But a lot of times the tech behind the software side isn't what makes them the money. So it's not the primary focus. So you're going to need to find, if, if you were going to build into that, you would need to find partners who are understanding of what the tech brings to the table. You're going to need to heavily specialize your software. For instance, let's imagine you wanted to work with a miner, but they use a custodial solution for their Bitcoin that doesn't give them the ability to use PSBTs or even sign raw transactions, strictly AB transactions. That's going to be a problem that you're going to have to explore. You're going to have to learn how all these old how all these systems fit together and then heavily tailor your product to fit a market that will be biased towards other participants in that ecosystem. This is one, a large factor in why I signed up with Luxor and Ordinal Hub. I was building some of this stuff and simple mathematics of the ecosystem says that if I can build it and they already are good friends with many of these people, the best place to be is probably working with a company that has those connections already. But don't let that discourage you. If you have a product and you think you can plug it into miners, reach out to them. They seem pretty willing to take meetings typically, and they seem pretty agreeable to making more money. At the end of the day, if you can make more dollars per hash, that's just good economics. Most people aren't going to turn that down. And if you have an idea, reach out to us, probably reach out to me or the Ornal account. Or if you see Jameson in the audience, you can hit up him. We do a lot of discovery conversations. We want to entertain as many ideas as possible. 